This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. back to 15 minute film fanatics today we're doing a really fun one yeah this is le samurai from 1967 directed by jean-pierre melville and starring Hélène delon uh this uh, i'd never seen this movie before so this was totally a dan pick dan how did this movie come up it just just going through criterion you know every day as you as, i'm going to keep saying this like a broken record the problem is not that there's nothing to watch what is the problem mike the problem is the problem is there's way too much to watch. There's way too much to watch. I've heard about this movie. Everyone's got that secret shelf of movies you've heard of, but you've never seen. I said, let me finally see this. I watched this twice within the last week. And if you told me right now to watch it again, I would say, fine. I love this film. It was, I think this is the cleanest movie I've seen in a long time, right? You have the clean room, the suits, the desks, the dialogue. Um, it's got one of our favorite movie features, which is clickety clackety shoes. There are clickety clackety That's my absolute favorite. All over this thing. Um, I love how he lives in Robert De Niro's apartment from Heat. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, and you know who else's apartment it is? Or um, the, the gimmick? Um, it's, he also lives in the uh, room from the beginning of Shadow of a Doubt. Yes. While he's smoking. He also lives in the decrepit apartment from the beginning of uh, a fat city, but he actually like can afford matches. Yes. All of exactly. That's great. All of our podcasts come together. I thought the same thing. He's like uncle Charlie. Anytime a movie begins with a man fully dressed in a suit, laying on a bed, smoking a cigarette, you, you know, that things aren't going to end well. It also reminded me of another pod movie we've done, which is the umbrellas of Cherbourg, not just because it's French, but because I love how in that movie, the whole gimmick of the movie, I love how you said the word gimmick is that they can only express themselves through song in this movie. It, all the expressions are just almost done through silence, at least his. Right. And, and there's these long stretches where nobody talks. The police commissioner talks a lot, but but I love how um, he communicates. It's like the music of silence. Yeah. Well, and, and. I think that what's going on is they don't expect you to, like, pick up the gimmick as the movie goes on. They're just going to tell you what the gimmick is, like like Umbrellas of Cherbourg. Right. But the beauty is it's like I'm going to fully commit to this for an hour and 40 minutes until you forget that I told you. Right. Because you know what kind of movie you're in from the first two minutes. It's like, ah, yes, we will have him wake up uh, in a room uh, with one bird. And it's like, OK, that's the most obvious literary symbol right. that, that there could possibly be. It's a bird, a bird in a cage, you know, stage center. But uh, it's so beautiful how they fully commit to that silence even when it's actually the silence that makes you uncomfortable. My moment is actually in the chase scene. So we'll, we'll get to that. But the only person who talks is the police inspector. Yeah. And I love how you said commit because that's exactly what happens. The credits roll. He's on the bed, smoking the cigarette. 
you all you hear is the bird. And at first you're kind of I'm like, is that a squeaky wheel? Like, what is that sound? Then you realize it's the bird. The credits are over. You get the fake epigraph from the made up samurai manual about no, no one is as lonely as the samurai. Except, except the tiger. The, except the tiger in the jungle. And then there's like a solid, like, I don't know, eight seconds, 10 seconds where you're just, and you might be like, is this the whole movie? The whole movie is him lying in bed smoking. Like what's, what's going on here, but they commit to it. And, and I think that, um, they commit to that in a hundred ways. Like, like I love when he goes to kill the nightclub owner and he says, who are you? Just, it doesn't matter. What do you want to kill you? Like even when he does talk, it's only to express what you're watching anyway. He doesn't give you any other, your friend sold you out. They want a bigger share of the nightclub. Um, so I, the thing that I love about it, it's they commit to the silence, but um, it's all the film also commits to all the procedures. Have you ever seen a movie with this many how-to like YouTube videos embedded in it? Like, how do you steal a car, Mike? How do you steal a car? Well, the, uh, it's not just procedure. It's procedures over procedurals, yes. which I like. Yes. Um, so, I mean, ironically, it's like the anti-French connection. Yes, yes. Right, because the French connection is all about like, I know it's him. And it's like, how do I go near him, Popeye? You know, but this, this is all like, we would just look at each other and then you'd walk away. Yeah. That's the whole movie. A police procedure, like all those great books by like Ed McBain. If you ever read those 80, I think it's 86th or 87th precinct books where like, you kind of like learn how the cops work. Like that's what the French connection is. This is how everybody works. So that's why I asked that question about stealing a car as well. You go to the first unlocked car, you take out your jumbo key ring and you just start doing one key. Okay. Then the, the next key. The the jumbo key ring made me laugh and made yeah. me think that this was like some kind of trick was being played on. You know, like you could the the it happens within enough time that ostensibly it could be a joke. Like if if it were just um if it were like a Leslie Nielsen movie, but made right. in French, you know, at the giant key. And um, but after that, I was totally sold. Yeah, well, remember the cops have a jumbo key ring too when they yeah. have to go into his apartment. But if you go through this movie, the whole movie, every scene in the movie is how to, right? So here's how you steal a car. Um, here's what you do on the day you kill somebody. You lay in bed till the right time, right? Here's how you shoot them. Here's how you get your new license plates. You don't talk to the guy. You just drive in there and get the gun. Um, here's how you organize a lineup. Here's how you bug a room. Here's how you try to flip a girlfriend. Uh, here's how you try to use a, a radio transmitter. Here's how you take care of your bullet wound after you've been shot in the arm. Um, you know, it's just like, it's so good. And it's like, it's 40 minutes or 45 minutes in the movie until he leaves the police station. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, it's one procedure after another. And you get so drawn in that it's never, like not much happens in terms of a quote unquote action movie or a crime movie, but you're, you're so on the edge of your seat watching how each of these procedures plays out. You know what? Cause it's like Anton Chigurh, the motion picture. All right, let's talk about our moments. So welcome back in part two. We'd like to talk about our favorite moments, things that really struck us. Mike, what was yours? So speaking of the anti-French connection, this has to be one of my favorite chase scenes that I've ever seen, but it's also somehow the the least and most dramatic chase scene ever, just that the cops are going to tail him uh, through the subway. And so you've got, you've got a couple of things. You've got the multiple cops, of feet, like the feet, the woman chasing him. You've got um, the police inspector who was great, by the way. I don't, so I've never seen that guy in anything else, but he's brilliant. Um, watching the big board, you know, which, you it's know, it's supposed, it's supposed to be a gimmick. You know what I mean? So that, but uh, he doesn't say anything. You know, it's, it's, it's all, it's all five it's second all shots of him looking and with the, with the little blinking uh, Christmas lights. But the beautiful thing about it is that nobody's running. Right. So it's it's all glances. It's this it's the same structure of tension 
until it suddenly breaks, which is almost comical, which is uh, that uh, Jeff jumps over the barrier of the moving side sidewalk and then starts to run. And by the time she starts to run, it's too late. And so the movie reminds us that it is actually kind of like watching a tiger stalk and try to kill something or get away. Right. Like what if you, what if you did just follow a tiger around? It's like a, like a documentary uh, about this guy, which is that he's going to do nothing for about an hour, two hours, three hours, and then suddenly spring into action, but creating again, a structure of tension around it. Right. So it's like, an American movie would say, what if I only focused on the five minutes, right? The American screenwriters are like, what's at stake? Uh, Why this moment and not any other moment? Apparently French uh, screen director, uh, screenwriters are like, nope, don't care. Just show whatever you feel like, whatever would be the quietest and most awkward. That's a great point about the tiger, right? Every time you've ever gone to a zoo or a safari, you go by the tiger or the lion part. What's the tiger or the lion doing? Sleeping, sleeping, laying there, looking at you. can at barely you. see him. Yeah. They're like way, they're like, if you look in the top, top That's left exactly corner, right. you could see his tail, right? But but imagine if you stood there for four hours and all of a sudden they let in like a zebra and like and you saw them attack a zebra. You'd be like, oh my God, I'm never leaving this spot again. And that, that's exactly what it's like. So what's your moment? So my moment is when uh, he's in the car with Valerie, the piano player, who, who, who you know, becomes, you know, in, entwined with his life. And she looks at him and says, what kind of a man are you? Right. What is that in French? Uh, quel sort homme et toi? Okay. It's better than I know. But she says, what kind of man are you? And that is a big question of the film. You know, who is like a Citizen Kane? Who is this man? Right. What kind of man are you? And what occurred to me watching it the first time, and I can't wait to spring this on you. This is my tiger moment, is this reminded me of the exact experience of reading a series of books that I love. And those are the Parker books. By Richard Stark, right? Now you've read a few of them, right? Because you mentioned yes. hundred to me years ago, right? So if you know, Donald E. Westlake, who was a crime writer, had a pseudonym, Richard Stark. And in 1962, he wrote a book called The Hunter. That became the movie Point Blank, mm-hmm. directed by John Borman with Lee Marvin that everyone loves. And there's 24 of these books. I've read the first 18. I've kind of parsed them out so I don't glut on them. Um, I've read 18 of them. Everyone is, is, is as good as the one before it. And the premise of the Parker books is that Parker is this, this cold-blooded thief who doesn't give a lot of emotion. That's why the pseudonym is Richard Stark. And Stark's challenge was to write a whole novel and just have the characters come out in their actions and what they do. So when I was watching this, I'm like, Park isn't a murderer, although he does kill people in the books. He's a thief. But the whole sensibility of this movie is exactly like reading the Parker books. When you read the Parker books, the fun of it is how is Parker going to get in trouble and how is he going to get out of it? And what kind of brains and ruthlessness is he going to use? And it struck me that not only is this a movie that's like, reminds me of reading Parker. This is like a movie that, that Parker directed. If Parker made a movie, it would be this. I have a good thing on the ending for that. All right, let's go to the ending. So welcome back. We're moving right into the ending. Mike, go. So you mentioned a lot of how-tos, how to steal a car, right? How to, you know, hassle the girlfriend, et cetera. Uh, one more how-to, or what, 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 what kind of gun would you use if you were an assassin? What do you mean? Like a handgun or as opposed to like... No, a, he's, he's got the, yeah. you know, he's got the revolver. Yeah, right. Why does he have a revolver instead of a automatic? So you can, you can see how many bullets are in at the end. So you can see or how not, many bullets. Or not in there at the end. Yeah. Or not in there. Um, so one, one thing that struck me is really interesting. Um, I rewatched the first scene and then the last scene. And in the first scene, 
there's something that happens that I don't think could happen if, if, if Parker directed it, which is this, which is that Jeff gets into character, right? He gets up from the bed, he puts out a cigarette. He looks at himself in the mirror, he puts on his coat and then there's a weird reverse angle, right? Yes. And when the, when the re- weird reverse angle happens, when you, he stops looking at himself in the mirror and then we look at him, he is Jeff, you know, he's, right. he's the killer. And I didn't think too much of it till I watched the last scene again, which is where he's at the bar and the bartender is looking at him uh-huh. in the reflection. And then when he turns around again, he's Jeff because he's going to go. Yeah, uh, he's going to he go. Puts on his white gloves in front of everybody, and 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 he knows that everybody's there. And so there's a there's an interesting thing I think for me where like the inner consistency or that structure of tension is also coming from from Jeff himself staying in character, right? Because the one thing that Parker would never do is allow himself to be shot to be, in, yeah, in, in yeah. front of a bunch of the a bunch of cops. And so I think that the, what sort of man are you? And that, that structure of tension is also kind of the music of Jeff trying to stay in this character that he's created so that he can do what he needs to do and then coming out of it. And I think that the coming in and, and coming out of it at the beginning and the ending are actually reflected in the, like literally in the camera angles and in the ways that, that others see him with this, essentially with his costume on, because that's what it really becomes at the end, right? You, you think it's a, it's supposed to be a gimmick. It's supposed to be a, I wear gloves, so I'll never leave fingerprints, fingerprints right. anywhere. Um, but by the end, right, it becomes a signal to everybody that he's about to do what he's about to do because they know his gimmick so well. Yeah, he wants the cops to see him do that. When he goes into that, and that's such a brilliant thing at the end because the first time he puts the gloves on when he goes to kill the, the nightclub owner, I love how he's in the bathroom and he's washing his hands and he puts a towel down, he has his gloves on, washing his gloves. But it, he comes in at the, the last time where he knows what he's going to do. Like, remember, he's in his car and he checks the number of bullets in there. Mm-hmm. And you think he's making sure there's enough bullets, but he's about to take them out. The camera cuts away. So he empties out his gun without us seeing it. And I love how he gets the hat, he gives his hat to the hat check girl and just leaves the ticket on the counter. So the first time you think to yourself well that's weird like why wouldn't he take the hat check thing and then he sees the bartender who's been involved with the mobsters who have had and so when he goes up to her that is that is one thing you're right parker would never commit suicide by cop he would never let this happen but let's let's talk about that he goes up to her and he does this thing and he knows he's going to go right that's a very very unparker move and i love the fact that before he pulls the gun out there's a long long shot of his face and the whole movie is just trying to read his face he has the same expression every time. And he it, it, that's why um, Lee Marvin was so perfect to play that character in Point Blank, because mm-hmm. he's, he's Lee Marvin. Like, it's, like, it's like that joke about the stormtroopers, different expressions. It's happy. He said, like, Lee Marvin has the same face, you know, no matter what his emotions. And so does this guy. And so when he pulls that gun out, I took it to mean, you know, when he lets her know, you got to get out of here because she's living in the same apartment with the mobsters. Mm-hmm. When you make that connection, when he kicks the door in and you're like, oh, it's that hallway with the, with the art in it. So... Is that what you took the ending to be? Because I took it to be like, I'm gonna, I, the only way to signal for her to get out of here and to break ties with these people is to let her know that they actually put a hit on her. Well, and he's got to clean it up too. Uh, yeah, you know, I, yeah. So I, I feel like uh, you know, the, there's that phony quote in the beginning, yes. <laughs> right? And so in what sense is uh, Jeff Costello a man of honor? Only in the sense that seeing a mess, that he would, that he would clean it up to the yes. end. Even if even if he is part of the thing that gets cleaned up, exactly right. So, do you have enough integrity that you would clean yourself up? And I think that to to connect it to what I'm talking about, he's he's been in character, but he's been pretending he's been pretending to be an assassin for the entire movie. I mean, he he is, but but the the implacable 
character is something that he puts on. And so finally, even though he can separate himself from it a little bit, he can't take it off. So he's got to go. Yeah. And I think that I think the point of the piano player is she gets to him a little tiny bit. Like he's not fully implacable with her. There's something about her that's not the same as his girlfriend. Because she's a performer, right? She right. she has a she has an offstage persona. And then you can see there's there's that door that says privé. And when she comes through the green room, everybody applauds. And so it's exactly like putting the putting the gloves on, right? She's also got her costume on. Nobody, yeah. nobody plays piano in five inch heels, you know? <laughs> well, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about Les Samurai. You can follow us on Twitter at 15MANFilm. You can also follow us on Letterboxd. Get on Letterboxd, see what we're, we're watching. Tell us what to watch. We take requests. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye.